0: First of all, welcome. You can tell everybody who was not here today that we gave out some special prize or award or something and that they missed it. We're also reminded that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there with you, so we've got that beat by 20 or 30 times, right? I do want to say a special word of thanks to John Pilato and Joey Besserol for getting this place able to be entered. And John started working very early this morning and Joey joined him, and thanks to all of you. Thanks to ushers, choir, thank you, Peter, Diana, and all of us for being here. We're trying a little bit of an experiment. We're on Facebook Live as well as that technology will work. So we'll see who's watching and we'll learn about that. So again, welcome to all of you. Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but your own, gracious God and speak into that silence your word of promise and hope, your word of grace and justice and peace. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our epistle lesson this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's familiar first letter to the Corinthian church, the first 11 verses of the 12th chapter. Let us hear God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever said let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember it very clearly. It was 18 years ago this very weekend. We have an odd process for choosing ministers in the Presbyterian Church. You go through all this double-secret interviewing and visitation. Bonnie and I actually came to Rochester in the fall of 2000 and saw this building and this place but didn't meet any of you. And then your committee decided to move us ahead. And on this weekend in 2001, I came here and preached what is called very inelegantly a candidating sermon. It's kind of a very high-pressure tryout and audition and then I leave the room, you all vote, and 18 years later, here we are. So I remember that, it wasn't quite as snowy as it is today, and I remember it for other reasons as well, but I remember it, in fact, as Becky has already suggested because it was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And I said, as much as I wanna say all the things I wanna say to this potential new congregation about who I am and who we might be together, I have to mention Martin Luther King, Jr., and in fact, just the reverse of that. If I didn't, it wouldn't be honest to myself and honest to you, I think. So the question 18 years ago was what to say, and the question today is what to say. So here's my premise, that we are called to remember Martin Luther King, Jr., and we are called in a way to remember Martin Luther King, Jr not as a saint, but as a leader, as a deep person of faith, because I think we've done two things to King and his legacy. We have sanitized it, and we have marginalized it. We have sanitized it, we've cleaned up the radical message that he shared, made it much more polite and civil, and removed the the kind of risk and the threat from what he was talking about and we've marginalized him. Yes, there's a holiday. Yes, there are dozens and dozens of other commemorations, but it seems to me because we've sanitized it, we've placed that true message on the outskirts of our conversation. It seems to me that in many churches like this, we are experts for one Sunday or maybe a weekend, and then we go back to business as usual. Now we remember then his reputation, kind of starting from the late mid-50s onward. Popular, yes. Then a foe of LBJ, yes. Then a winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, yes. But at the time of his death, his polling numbers were going this way, down, down, down. And by the end of his life, he was kind of being vilified in both black and white communities. We should remember that. Now it seems, and it's not all bad, but it seems, I wonder if this is true for your experience, that we kind of treat King as a, as a nice man with a dream. We're not even really sure what the content of that dream was. So let me suggest three aspects of our remembering. And though this congregation for sure is not an all-white congregation, it is predominantly so. And so I want those three aspects to kind of speak to our culture. Three words. They have alliteration, of course. I paid attention to that seminary class that one day anyway. (laughs) Prophetic, pastoral and priestly, and personal. Prophetic, pastoral and priestly, and personal. Prophetic, remembering and reclaiming the ethical and moral demands of his vision. Pastoral and priestly, as Becky has suggested already, reclaiming the the faith-based foundation of that vision. And personal, a sense of call that we all share, that we've just read from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, that we all have gifts. Prophetic. The role of the prophet is to look at the world and say what is wrong, and more so to say what an ideal world would look like. It's a difficult job. It is an unpopular job. It is a lonely job, whether in the biblical narrative or in the life of the culture. And King did it. First, he was a prophet on race, and then a prophet on matters of poverty and warfare. And he understood how deeply those topics and issues were connected. He asked what it's wrong and held a mirror up American life to show us what was wrong and and invited us to live up to our own ideals and promises. But he did what other prophets sometimes fail to do. He didn't just say what was wrong, but imagined for all of us what could be. He was a reconciler. His dream is about racial unity and harmony, and, and others in the 60s had a different vision, didn't Embraced reconciliation in quite the same way, and weren't quite so sure that that was the right message. And King was also a proponent of nonviolent resistance, following Gandhi, of course, following Jesus as he would so often There's, in the 1960s, had a different vision of tactics and strategy around nonviolent resistance. Sometimes that tactic, that approach, is criticized as. Passive and not very active, but, but it was never an easy, reconciliation that King talked about. I'm just going to turn this thing off. Talk it was never an easy reconciliation that King would talk about. Nonviolence was a difficult tactic, an unpopular tactic. He was not passive, but it was an active movement that he was leading that had consequences, consequences to be sure including being jailed repeatedly. And never once did he back down from that prophetic stance, but always look around and tell the truth, whatever the consequences will be. I think we can do no less. We have choices in front of us. We can ignore the problems. We can say the problems are too big. We can shrug our shoulders. We can say we can't make a difference. But the answer in the face of all of that is no. In the Face of the odds and the face of resistance, prophets do what prophets do. They look around and tell the truth and imagine what can be. Our perspective will differ, our tactics will differ, but the calling will not. This is a form of ministry that we engage. That their inspiration and the motivation for this prophetic work for us, at least, comes from our deep reservoirs of faith. Now, I know in 2019 we have to be mindful of what that looks like. We can't be in your face with the Christian underpinnings of all of this. <coughs> we find shared values with lots of partners we work with, but. Historically, this is what led Cain to do the work that he did. It's important to remember that. It's important to remember that faith mattered to him and to understand the trajectories of that. Now, we know he was a Baptist preacher and his son was a Baptist preacher. He was, in fact, an alum of Crozier Seminary, which is now part of our congregational seminaries here in Rochester. Truth be told, he would have preferred a life of preaching and teaching in a comfortable pulpit somewhere or even in a seminary setting. But if you go to the museum site in Atlanta, you'll see amongst all the other things, a black robe and a little Bible that reminds us always of what his base and foundation was. As Becky reminded us, his well-known speeches and presentations usually started with scriptural references And that language was peppered throughout, even in the most secular of settings. To make change in the world is strong when we're ready to join together and do what God calls us to do. That the faith that brings us here is the faith that forms our vocation and our calling. And in fact, prophetic and pastoral are are two sides of the same point. But the only way we can pursue this prophetic work is because God calls us to do it. Jesus' life models it for us. And one more, personal. We don't believe that any one of us are any more special saints than the rest of us, that we are all saints. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. was no different. We are no different. Spend some time as you can today or tomorrow on YouTube or wherever, and find some informal video footage of his life, laughing and playing with his children, him hanging out with his church sleeves rolled up and his tithers and the meetings, playing with his kids. That's one element of the personal nature of all this. There are others, of course, if you've watched the film some or have read it all, you know about his human shortcomings. I was struck in his later speeches, whether watching or listening or reading, about his own sense of life and calling, in fact, he experienced as many defeats as he did victories, especially as he moved toward conversations around poverty and the war. The people around him think he was probably clinically depressed for most of his public ministry, but his team, his crew, wouldn't allow him to go seek therapeutic help because of the stigma of counseling and psychotherapy. Think what that would have looked like. So, perhaps we can unsanitize to remember the full impact of this message. Perhaps we can bring this message in from the margins to, to recenter and refocus. How do we do that? Well, first we can read and watch. We can use today and tomorrow to learn and remember, especially if we have children or grandchildren to, to share this vision with. And then, as the people we fully are called and gifted by God, claim that prophetic vision, that prophetic calling, and use our gifts, join with all the other people here and all the other people who share this vision and believe that we can make a difference. A difference to make peace, to bring about justice.